So Steve said when we began this series that Romans uh, is like the Mount Everest of the New Testament. And take, taking the step to decide to preach through Romans and, and go through Romans as a church family is therefore like deciding to climb Mount Everest. And so, number one, it's going to take a long time. Number two, there's a lot of stuff in there. And I think that's a good illustration for Romans, and, and I'm just enjoying both the preaching part of this that I've got to contribute, but also, you know, being in Romans and thinking about it and hearing, teaching on it every week. I wanted to mention that if, if indeed Romans is like Mount Everest, what we've come to now and will be in for the next four weeks in Romans chapter 8 is like the, the best scenic overlook spot on the climb where you see the best stuff. Romans 8 is a beautiful chapter, and it's exciting, um, and honestly, it is enticing because it lays out things about the life to come that are beautiful and the love of God for His people, and it's great. So I'm, I'm really excited to be starting that and be able to preach tonight, uh, this morning, whatever it is, and share this with you. So the top of the note sheet is... Uh, what I believe is the point of this passage and will be the point of my sermon is that because we are in Christ, we have been, we are being, and we will be liberated, set free to life in the new way of the Spirit. Because we are in Christ, we have been, are being, and will be liberated slash set free to life in the new way of the Spirit. That phrase, new way of the Spirit, is from the preceding chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 6. And in that section, Paul has been saying, we're no, longer, we're no longer submitted to obeying the law under the old covenant. But instead, we now come to the new way of the Spirit. What God has done for us in Christ has set us free to experience that now, but to know that we will experience it in incredibly um, amazing ways in the life to come. The new way of the Spirit of God indwelling the believer and all that that entails. So if you would... Meet me in your Bible at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And we're going to read the passage. Uh, Romans 8, verse 1. I will take a second to let you get there. While I get there. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is death because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Father, I pray that you would give grace to the preacher and grace to each hearer, that you would be at work with your Spirit in our time in your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I got three points. Point one. Actually, three sermons. Really short sermons. We have been liberated from paying sin's penalty. We are not condemned. We've been liberated from paying sin's penalty, and we are not condemned. That's the point of the first four verses here in Romans 8. And beginning at the very start, it says, There is therefore now. Therefore. And the therefore is there to trace the argument back, not to Romans 7, which immediately precedes it, but all the way back to Romans 5. So if you are a um, you know, church attendance award winner, you might remember that a little ways back, I preached um, Romans 5. 12 through 21, and that was the Sunday I talked about how Paul could be uh, accused of giving away the store with all this grace, that the idea that the favor of God was not contingent upon the obedience of the believer was new in some ways, but to the way they interpreted everything, it was totally new. And so he could be accused of giving away the store. So what Romans 8, 1 and following tracks back to is what Paul has been saying in Romans chapter 3.21 through Romans 5.21, which is all the good news stuff. Remember, there's a, a bad news section that is followed by the good news about what Jesus has done and what it means for everyone who trusts in Him. So at the end of Romans 5, if you are there or you can just listen to me read it, in verse 18, Paul, Paul says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And catch this verse here, 21. Grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
the kind of the culmination of the argument at the end of chapter 5 is there's eternal life available for those who trust in Jesus and his sacrifice through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then from chapters 6 and 7, what those chapters are, actually Paul posing three questions that could be raised as objections to what he's teaching. So Romans 6 and 7 are like an aside. And so in chapter 6, verse 1, he asks, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And then he answers that. And then in Romans 6, 15, what then, are we to sin because we are not under law, because we are under law? Uh, excuse me. What then, are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. And then for the rest of chapter 6, in the beginning of chapter 7, he answers that objection. And then in Romans 7, 7, he asks the third and final objection. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. In the rest of chapter 7, he answers that question. So when we come to Romans 8, 1, we, we hear this right before it. Wretched man that I am. So he finishes up his, his answering of the question about obedience and the law and the struggle of all that. And what we heard last week from Jay. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And so it's like, end of parentheses, back to the original thought. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This no condemnation is for those who are in Christ. In Romans 5, he's talking about how in Adam there is judgment for sin because Adam sinned and all following in his train, all of the descendants, the sons and daughters of Adam. And in Romans 5, it says there is condemnation for sin under Adam. But you're not in Adam, you're in Christ. In Christ, there is no condemnation. Instead, there is eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, through His righteousness, through His sacrifice. So this no condemnation grace is ours in Christ. It's comprehensive redemption. It's come to us, not because of anything we do, not because of how we respond, not because of how we grow as a Christian and in holiness and pursue Him. Not because of anything that we contribute to the equation. There's no condemnation simply because you are in Christ Jesus. That's awesome. And then he goes on from there to say it's, it's because the law of the Spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, the law of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life has set you free. Not only are you not condemned, you're not in the position that you once were or would have been where you can't do anything about the sin that plagues you. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free. It's a beautiful thing. I'm going to come to this a little bit later, but I just want to say here, it's just the, the truth that for a lot of Christians, a lot of people at New Life, it's been true for me in my own life that we don't sometimes feel this way. 
we don't sometimes, you know, get to experience the reality in our heart, in our mind, in our gut, that, that we are set free, that we stand before God. When we wake up in the morning, redeemed, approved, and favored by Him, not because of anything that we've done, but because of the righteousness of another. To get the Christian life right, so tomorrow when you wake up, you get your head set straight, you get it right again, it ought to be the case that somehow in the morning, in whatever you're doing, you consciously bring to mind the thought, I'm a sinner, but my sins have already been paid. I'm struggling with this or that, but the, the bill of that, as it relates to God and His holiness, it's not going to come due for me because that bill already got paid. And so I'm free. There's no condemnation for me. So as it relates to God, in this fundamental sense, I'm good. Well, praise the Lord. My favorite gospel summary uh, the place I think in the New Testament that says this the best is in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And there Paul says, um, for our sake, <clears throat> excuse me, for our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus the Son, to be sin, made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In your morning thing, when you're talking to yourself, one of the things that is totally appropriate to say is that because I'm in Christ, I am considered by God to possess and to be the righteousness of God in the way that Jesus is. That's some strong stuff. Back in Romans 8, if you would look with me at verse 3. In the middle of verse 3, I'm picking up right in the middle of the verse. He says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So, we're not condemned, but something is. For us, what is condemned is sin in the flesh. What is condemned for you, if you know the Lord, is the devices of Satan to destroy you and, and take you away from the holy, loving God. Because Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh, just like us, and for sin. He came for the purpose of destroying sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. You're not condemned. The sin in the flesh through which Satan would destroy you and separate you forever from God with. That's what's condemned. Because of the work of Jesus. He condemns sin in the flesh, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So I memorized Romans 8 years ago uh, in probably what was the most difficult time of my life. And so I know this passage. I love this passage. The reason I did that is because there is so much blow-your-mind, really awesome, amazing stuff in it. So if you are a discouraged Christian, just go home and read Romans 8. It won't undiscourage you, but it will give you good things to think about. And maybe the, the Lord will use that 
in the process of bringing you forward with Him. But this week, the, the main thing that I learned studying this passage and preparing to preach it is at the end there of verse, um, section in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The Greek word for the righteous requirement is singular and not plural. Jesus came to fulfill the singular righteous requirement, not the righteous requirements of the law. He fulfilled the whole thing, not just part of the thing. He fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. I'm sorry, so the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The Greek verb, therefore, be fulfilled is in the past tense that indicates one-time action. And it's the passive voice which indicates that it's not our action, but is done by another. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law, everything that God required of people through His law that no one was able to meet until Jesus came, the full requirement has been fully fulfilled by the past one-time action of Jesus on the cross. That's what the blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary, that's what it means. That's what it accomplished. That's what it did. It liberated us so that we could now be able to be considered before God. You're no longer the sinner who screwed up, screws up, and may continue to have problems with sin. Not in my sight. We'll talk about that in a minute and what to do with it, but in my sight, you are as righteous as my son is because he took your place. He fulfilled completely the requirement of holiness that I have because I am holy, and you're in him. So to me, I see in you the righteousness of my son. To me, I see in you the merit of Jesus' own obedience, His own sacrifice, and the victory of His resurrection will one day be for you too. The gospel's pretty good. And I know that's some strong stuff. But there's therefore now no condemnation. That's the big highlight of this passage, this part of this passage. And I wanted to tell you why that is. Because it's not pop psychology. It's the actual truth of the Word of God. And it's beautiful. If you get it, you can live free. And I want that for you. Well, point two, we are, be we are being liberated. So not only have we been liberated from sin's penalty, which is justification, we are being liberated from living according to the soul-destroying, ruling principle of the flesh and set free to walk, live, and set our minds according to the soul-refreshing, ruling principle of the Spirit. Right now, we are being free by the Spirit to walk and live and set our minds according to the Spirit of God that will glorify God, not according to the flesh. 
says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us by what Jesus has done. Us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In this section, what we see is there is a serious link and connection between those who receive the grace of God and are not condemned for their sins, and then those who then walk and live and set their minds a particular way. So it's easy to look at that and say, I don't, I don't really know. That doesn't sound like grace to me. That sounds like law to me. I, I don't know. But if you want to understand the Christian life, as the Bible actually lays it out, you've got to get this connection. There is real forgiveness and grace because of Jesus. But the grace of God that saves you then makes you, makes you the kind of person who will choose to walk according to the Spirit and live according to the Spirit and set your minds continually, repeatedly. Like, you hear this sermon today and you're like, well, I've been doing that, but it's a wake-up call. Tomorrow, this afternoon, wake up, get in the Word of God and Find whatever it is you can do and ask God in His grace to set your minds on the things of the Spirit. That's what saved people do. So, this connection between those who are not condemned and those who live according to the Spirit, I think, is really important to get because I know we want to understand how this is all supposed to work, right? And I know that all of us, we need to be reminded because we so easily forget. So I think a great picture for the way that this is all supposed to work, the, the Christian life in this passage right here, is the picture of a train on a, a high-speed track. A train on a high-speed track. And the engine of the train is the grace of God in Jesus. Everything I talked about for the first part of the sermon, that's the engine applied by the Holy Spirit to your personal life. You've got this powerful engine of grace and not judgment, mercy and not condemnation. Jesus and all that he did on the cross in your place for your sin applied to you by the Holy Spirit. And so you're free. Awesome. This big, powerful engine. But, you know, if you see, like, a seriously powerful train engine, locomotive, just powering down the track, pew, with no cars behind it, and then you see it three weeks later coming back across the USA, pew, and it didn't pick up any cars, it's just driving really fast, and you know that that train is not fulfilling its function. It's just not, it's not doing what a train's supposed to do. That's not how it works. Because what a train has, is it has behind it the first car, which is passengers. Maybe first class passengers, let's say. And then the second car is a dining car. And the third car is uh, second class passengers. And then the next car is, uh, you know, coach, let's just say. That's where I sit. I'm not trying to pay $1,000 for a $100 ride. And so then behind that might come cargo and behind that, more cargo, and I think a good picture of the Christian life is that you have this amazingly powerful locomotive engine of the grace of God and Jesus for you pulling this train. And as you get older, 
or actually more to the point, as you mature and grow in grace, you continue to see cars added to that train. And as it crosses the USA, you're not condemned, and that has set you free so that you can live according to the Spirit in an obedience and growing holiness, and your train goes fast. And it's got more cars behind that train, and it's more meaningful, and it's more fulfilling its function, and you have more flourishing in Christ, no matter what your circumstances are, than you did last time. It gets to the other side of the country. Gets a few more cars on the end as you continue to grow. And here it comes, back across the country again. And it's got more. That's how it works. So, it actually makes all the sense in the world. But the no condemnation grace of God, verse 1, 2, 3, and the first part of 4, is linked and connected to what follows it about living a life that is according to the Spirit, that's an obedient to God life in holiness. Because that's how it works. Last night something happened that I made me realize even a little bit more personally how this uh, issue of no condemnation and then grace works. Grace in life. I absolutely flubbed the first three, four minutes of my sermon last night. Criminally so. I mean, I came up here, and I, didn't, I, I did it different today, but I, I had um, like a notebook, like a moleskin notebook, and I had written out my sermon. But when I got up here, although I had it marked with a little bookmark, I could have found that, I flipped it open to the wrong pages. I flipped it open to pages I had written during the week while I was sort of, you know, thinking through things. So I was not looking at complete thoughts. I was looking at the wrong ones, and so I was trying to find myself and kind of catch myself, and I, I started to talk, but I, but I, I didn't know what to say exactly because I didn't have my starting thing right in front of me like I was planning to. And for whatever reason, I didn't take the five seconds to just turn over to the right page. <laughs> and so I had a couple of rough pauses, and a couple of, um, uh, but God redeemed, you know, the sermon. And I think that the people who came got a message of grace, and that's good. I'm telling you, I messed it up, though. And when I left here, I'm, I did not get out the, the door of the building before I said to myself, stupid. And I'm waiting in my car, in my car, idiots. And then on the way home, other things. I'm supposed to laugh at that. Um, but <laughs> we, 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 I think all of us have these experiences where we have a mindset about ourselves that we can throw condemnation on ourselves. And that can have to do with something like what I mentioned, a, a, a performance thing in your life, but it can also have to do with a sin issue in your life or a guilt thing over a past sin. It's just the case that this no condemnation life followed by a productive, flourishing experience because the grace motivation is pulling the life according to the Spirit, cars. It honestly doesn't happen for all of us, and for some of us it doesn't seem to happen at all. What can happen is that instead of receiving and feeling that we have received no condemnation, we can instead get stuck feeling what this book is about that has really been important in my life, shame. We can feel the condemnation and what that produces in us is shame. 
Shame can be over something you've done. You know, shame can be over something that you left undone that you should have done. So many important stuff. And it's just sitting there. It's like, I can't, I can't believe it. It just can stick with you. More importantly, shame can stick around in your life because of sins that you've committed. Sins committed against you can also cause shame. The tough thing about shame is it does not seem to let go of you. I've known that in my life. If you've known that in your life, I just want you to know That's not how God has designed you. That is not God's will for your life. He does not want you to spend any more days crushed down under the burden of shame and condemnation, however it came to you, because if you belong to him, he has crushed the serpent's head. He has condemned sin in the flesh. He has condemned the designs of the devil, and he has told you, that's all condemned and you are not because you're mine and you're in Christ. I want you to be able to feel that. So I just wanted to mention this, this book is like a, just a, I don't know, placeholder for the idea that there's stuff you can do about it. And I want to encourage you to avail yourself of that. Avail yourself of the Lord, but avail yourself of the pastors of the church here if you need to because that's why we're here. We would love to walk with you in whatever the area is that you need help with this because we want for you to feel free. And we know that at New Life, just like everywhere, a lot of us don't feel free. You can because you're not condemned. Point three. We will be liberated for the real yet incomprehensible new life of the coming new creation. We haven't just been liberated and set free from the penalty of sin. We have not only been liberated and set free um, from living according to what will destroy our own soul, living like we are subject to the principles of the flesh, We've been set free to live according to the life-giving principle of the Spirit, the new way of the Spirit. But there's something really cosmic about our redemption that I want to finish up with this morning. We have been redeemed, we have been liberated for the real yet incomprehensible new life of the coming new creation. And this is what we see in verse 10 and 11. Verse 10, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. That's about right now. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, there is a principle of death at work in you and all of us because we live in the world and it's fallen and it's afflicted by sin and you're no different and so your body is uh, deteriorating and you will, you will die one day should Christ tarry. But if Christ is in you, although that is true, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is life in you and life for you because of righteousness. And that righteousness is not, I have grown with God and I have a lot of train cars behind my car and so I am growing in righteousness. It's not about that. The Spirit is life in you because of Jesus' righteousness. 
So how cool is that? You're not condemned. There's a way you're called to live your life. You have the power to live that way. And there is deliverance from shame. And there is deliverance from the things that plague us. Well, those aren't easy necessarily. You might need to confess sin in order to feel free of it. You might need to make it right. You might need to repent. You do need to repent. So although you're not condemned, repent your sins. I try to repent all the time. I mean, I don't, like this second, I'm preaching not repenting, but I try on a regular basis to live in a spirit of repentance because I need to. And in continual new trusting faith in the one who saved me because I need to. Because I want to feel the beauty and the goodness of that engine pulling these cars down the track. But I can because the Spirit is alive in me and it gives me, uh, it, it, it is that way because of righteousness and not mine. So when I'm not doing well, it's still true because of the righteousness of Jesus in me. Verse 10 is about now. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead, the Spirit Capital S, Spirit, is life because of righteousness. That's for now. But 11 is about the future. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Think about that. Jesus was crucified, buried, Entombed. And then a couple days later, God, through his spirit, defibrillated Jesus. And his heart physically began to beat. He unwrapped the grave clothes that they had around him. He stood up from where they had laid him. And it says in Matthew, there was an earthquake. And an angel from heaven came and rolled away the stone. And Jesus walked out of that grave. This this is physical things. This is what happened in our world miraculously by the power of God through his spirit. If, If the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. If the one who did that dwells in you, that blows my mind. More than anything I've talked about this morning, that verse blows my mind. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is also going to give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus received a resurrection body, and you will too. You've got new life coming to you physically, in real ways, in God's new creation one day. And it will be something that is perfect and lasts forever. We see this not just in Romans uh, 8.11, but also later in the chapter, verse 15, he says, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. But then in verse 23, it says this, we who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. 
We, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we have received the spirit of this adoption. You've got it right now. Talk about that next week. You are adopted as children of God into his family if you belong to Jesus. But while we've received the spirit of adoption, we groan inwardly while we wait for it to actually happen. We wait for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then it says this, for in this hope you were saved. The hope close to the heart of your salvation is that your body will be redeemed. Do you think of heaven much? Or or do you tend to just mostly think of now and next and next week and next month and the things that you got going on? You have carved out in your mind a regular way to put before your mind the life that is to come. For most of us, when we think about it, it looks like this. Philippians 1, 21 to 24, Paul writes, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul talks about and is thinking about heaven. He's thinking about um, departing from the flesh and going to be with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8, it's kind of the same deal. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yet we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So what Paul talks about there is the way that I think we almost always think about heaven. Me, myself, if I were to die, if I die soon, or if I die, you know, God forbid, if, if I die, if, if Christ tarries, does not return before I do die, I will immediately leave and go in, with my spirit to be with Jesus. Okay, so where's Jesus? It says he is seated at the right hand of the Father, where indeed he is interceding for us. Where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father right now is what theologians call the intermediate state, temporary heaven. They don't call it temporary heaven, I'm just saying. They call it the intermediate state. It is heaven between now and the new creation. When we think about heaven, that's almost entirely what I think most of us think about. Did you know that there's something else, though, that we ought to be thinking about? Temporary heaven, intermediate state, is just that. It is not our permanent home. So, where the Lord is right now and where I would go if I died soon is spiritual, real, and ethereal in nature and therefore difficult to understand. And so we end up thinking things like, well, if I go to heaven, I might be in a worship service that lasts a zillion years where we sing a whole bunch of songs over and over and over and over. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Amen and praise the Lord. 
but it's not. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I trust the word of God. This defies many things, but we will walk with him. And the place where we see that most clearly in the Bible is Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 3. You can turn there with me or you can just let me read to you because I'm going to finish right here. Revelation 21, 1 to 3, the Apostle John says this, But then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, because the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. There will be no crying, no pain and mourning, no shame there. Because he who is seated on the throne says, behold, I'm making all things new. I just want to finish by telling you, there's coming a day at the very end of all of this where Jesus makes all things new, a new heaven, a new earth, and the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So in some ways, these two realms will meet, and you will walk in this place in a real body, doing real things, with nothing in this world that, does, that reflects anything but the Garden of Eden, but it will be better than Eden, because God himself will be our God, and he will walk with his people, wiping away all the tears from their eyes beautiful thing. That's, it is for that you were saved, and you will know that experience if you belong to Him. So the prayer partners could come forward, and if the band could go ahead and get in place, I just want to close with an invitation, actually two invitations. If you're here this morning and you've been hearing me talking, you're like, that sounds great. I know that that's not me. I want to just invite you to come to Jesus this morning. Why wouldn't you? You came all the way to church. God brought you here this morning that you could hear his gospel message, the good news. This is it. There is so much good that can be yours in Jesus. So come to him this morning. I'll be down here. Come talk to me. But most of your faces, I've already been here long enough to know that I see them every week. And there's a lot of us here who are in, our fa in the faith, have been for a long time, and we come here to be fortified. We come here to worship. I have an invitation for you too. Do you know currently the experience of shame and condemnation that I spent some time talking about? Do you not feel ever the freedom of what it means to be not condemned in the eyes of God. Are you in a place where when I spoke about the flesh and the spirit, you kind of knew, I, this is my problem. This is my problem. I'm living my life in a way that is not in according with the spirit. I'm not living in obedience, and that's why, yeah, that, that's me. I need repentance. Or perhaps you're a believer that you just don't get to think about heaven all that much and it's not part of your life. I want to invite you to come to Jesus. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness has been bought for you. 
with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Receive it. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to proclaim it this morning, and I pray in Jesus' name that your spirit would take it, drill it down in our hearts where we need it, and bring forth fruit, fruit that will last and bring joy to each of us in God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.